Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Friday, February the 23rd in the year of our Lord 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be taking a look at something that we often don't speak about, and that is the introit. The what? Well, every Sunday, there are three readings. There's also a collect, which is a short prayer about the readings. There is a gradual, and there is an introit. Concordia Publishing House puts out a wonderful piece of paper, a half sheet. It has all three readings from the Old Testament, from the epistle, and from the gospel, but it also has the introit. Now, the introit for the first Sunday in Lent is very close to the gospel. Uh, The gospel is about the temptations of Jesus, which we have already spoken about. And one of the temptations is the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, the reason that was a big temptation for Jesus is because people were under the impression that the Messiah would appear on the pinnacle of the temple, and that would occur during the Days of Atonement. And so that's why some scholars believe these temptations took place during that season, the Day of Atonement. But what is the devil doing? He is quoting the Bible. And the introit, which can be used in services, talks about that passage. It's from Psalm 91. So we're going to take a look at it right now because it's very helpful. You may end up talking to someone who's going through some suffering, some injury, some sickness, some sadness in their life. Psalm 91 is really wonderful to give comfort because it is filled with a promise from God himself. Beginning with verse 9 of Psalm 91, the introit begins, When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. Now, this is God talking, that when someone calls to him, he will answer us, and he will always be with us in trouble. So if you're going through a negative occasion in your life, you can be sure that God's going to keep his promise. And his promise is that he will answer you. I've already said this a number of times about prayer, and I was kind of helped by a lay woman who phoned the radio station to talk to me. I said that when you pray, God answers yes, no, or wait. And that's what I used to say. She phoned and said no. 
he always answers, yes. And I said, no, I, I prayed for a motorcycle and I didn't get it. I had to wait until I got married and my parents wouldn't allow me to have one when I was with them. So it was wait. She says, no, there's two kinds of prayers and God answers both of them. The one is when we ask God to keep his promise. So when we baptize an infant, we don't say, and we hope that you will give this infant faith. No, we say, we know you will give this infant faith because that's what he has promised in the rite of baptism. But then there are prayers where we ask for something that is not a promise from the Bible, like the motorcycle I wanted. But then we always say, but thy will be done. That's what she had told me. And then she said, and you see, God always answers, yes, my will will be done. And it will always be according to your situation and to your good. In other words, when he calls to me, God says, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble because his answer is always yes. If it's a promise, he's going to fulfill it. And if it's something that's not promised, he is going to answer in such a way that it will always be to our good. The next verse, I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, there are four congregations I'm helping out with right now. Two of them do the introit, and it's said just before the reading of the lessons, and we go verse by verse. So I say the ver first verse of the introit, the congregation says the second verse, and we keep going back and forth. So here God says, I will rescue him and honor him. What is God rescuing us from? Well, the hymn that we looked at on Tuesday, he rescues us from our depths of despair. It was a hymn written by Martin Luther. And what is the greatest depth of despair we have is over our sins. We feel we are not deserving of going to heaven. We even confess that. God rescues us by having our sins paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. Therefore, that cross is our rescue. And God honors us by rescuing us. Now, why does he do that? Because we're such good people? No, we're sinners, deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. He honors us because he's honoring his son who died for our sins, who paid the price for our salvation. And then the verse continues, with long life, 
I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, what does the introit there mean? Because a lot of times, Christians do not have a long life. They may die in a car accident when they're only teenagers, and so forth. The word long life doesn't necessarily always mean a length of time, but it means a fullness of your life. For example, even a teenage Christian is comforted and helped as they turn to the Bible to hear the many promises God has to help them through their problems. That's what is meant by a long life. And it will satisfy us because it will never end. Remember what Jesus said to Martha before he raised Lazarus from the dead? He who believes in me will never die referring, of course, to the spirit within us, that though our bodies will die and be buried, our spirit will be going to heaven to be with Jesus during the interim until our bodies are rejoined at the great day of judgment. So God keeps his promise. We will be satisfied with long life. It will be an eternity of long life. It won't be like God, who is eternal, will be like the angels who are semi-eternal. What's the difference? The angels did have a beginning, but they had no end. Similarly, we as Christians will have a beginning of salvation which can occur at our baptism or hearing the word of God, and it will never end, which means we will be going to heaven forever and ever. So, now the psalmist writes the next verse, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High is your refuge. Now, what does that mean? Well, in the English, the word Lord is capitalized every letter. And that's the way the English translations refer to the name of God, Yahweh, that Moses heard at Mount Sinai at the burning bush. So. We use that word, Lord, in capitalized to refer to God himself who witnessed to Moses. What does it mean that you have made the Lord your dwelling place? Well, when Moses was on Mount Sinai and there was a burning bush and it said, the angel of the Lord spoke to him that was referring to Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, prior to his incarnation. And Moses was in the dwelling place of God. Remember, God told him to take off his sandals because he was in holy ground. 
because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. Now, how do we make the Lord our dwelling place? Well, that is worship. Worship is dwelling in the Lord. And that worship does not just occur, say, on a Sunday morning or Saturday evening or Monday or Wednesdays or Thursday, Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday. It's not just when you have a worship service. It's any time that you're contemplating God's holy word to help us in our problems. And then God gives you another promise. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High is your refuge. What does that mean? Refuge. There are human beings who often need a refuge. A lot of times it comes about because of a storm. There are people who are very afraid of storms. And they are afraid of them because they could die in a storm. I know of a woman who would hide in a closet when a storm occurred when she was younger. But as she became more faithful to Jesus and understood his promises, she lost that fear and did not have to go into a closet to get away from the storm. Because God is her refuge. He is the safe place for her to be. And in case you still don't get it, God continues in Psalm 91 talking how he is our refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Now, we know many Christians who experience what we would consider to be evil. There are Christians in other lands who are even put to death because they preach Jesus Christ as their Savior. Why is that not an evil? Well, because what happens when a Christian even dies? Does the evil devil get control of them? No. That's what is being mentioned here, that no evil shall be allowed to befall you. You say that in the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. And in the original language, that is referring to the devil himself. When are we delivered totally from the devil? That occurs on the day of our death here on earth. But our spirits go immediately to be with Jesus, and we are not delivered over to the Bible, uh, over to the devil. In the Bible, Jesus was delivered over to the soldiers who whipped him and ended up crucifying him because he was delivered in our place. You will never have evil fall on you and no plague come near your tent. Now, your tent, of course, is the holy place of your worship. 
And it can be, yes, in church, but it also can be in your home as you read the Bible. Now, some people say, but I know of Christians who during a tornado, their home is destroyed and maybe members of their family die. Is that not evil coming near your tent? No, once more, the devil may try to bring evil to you as he did with Jesus with the temptations. But we overcome the temptations remembering the promises of God. This is what the whole Reformation is about. It's a law and gospel teaching. We are not saved by obeying the law because we are unable to do so. We fall short of the glory of God. Our old Adam never has perfect motivation in our works. We are able to do the works of the Holy Spirit when we are motivated by the Spirit. But then again, we are not able to do it on our own. And even when we do a work of the Holy Spirit, it is all often mixed with sinful intentions or motivations. But God, in a sense, ignores that and forgives us as we repent of our sins. Now we get to the point in Psalm 91 that the devil is trying to quote to get Jesus to jump from the pinnacle of the temple, be recognized as the Messiah, and therefore not have to die on a cross to be seen as the Messiah. The verse goes this way. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, that's a promise from God. It specifically applies, of course, to the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. When the Ancient of Days, who is God the Father in the book of Daniel, sends the Son of Man, who is Jesus Christ, to earth, he does so in order that the earth will be redeemed. And the angels will guard him. They will keep him safe. We see this when he visited his hometown of Nazareth. And they get really angry with Jesus because he will not do the miracles that he did in Capernaum. And so they're ready to throw him off a cliff. The Bible says he simply walks through their midst. And I'm sure that's with the help of the angels. Remember, the angels also help the nation of Israel. There can be a mighty army coming to Jerusalem. And at the nighttime, when the army is sleeping, the angel comes into the midst of the army, causes all kinds of noise, trumpets, and the army begins fighting one another, not the people of Jerusalem, until they are all defeated. 
So this is a great example of angels taking care of you. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is sweating as of drops of blood, it says. Why? Well, he realizes he's going to be crucified, but it's not the pain of the crucifixion that causes the sweat. It's the fact that he realizes he will be saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which in the original Aramaic means, my God, my God, why have you left me alone? Jesus is all alone on the cross. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, in order to strengthen him for the crucifixion, God the Father sends him an angel to comfort him. That's what it means that the angels will be guarding him in all his ways. Well, guess what? That promise is also for you. It's not at all unusual if you've seen that artistic rendering of two children crossing a river over a bridge and the waters are rushing, but there is an angel watching over them. And so the Bible does teach us we have guardian angels to watch over us. That is a blessing from God. It's a promise from God. And therefore, we can be comforted by that promise. Whether we're in a hospital getting ready for surgery, whether we're at a funeral bemoaning the loss of a loved one, whether we're at home unable to go to work because of an illness, the guardian angels are with us. They will bear us up. Now, the devil, of course, was misusing the text because he was trying to get Jesus to sin against the Father by becoming the Messiah, not by dying on the cross, but by jumping down from the pinnacle of the temple. That Jesus could have done, but he refuses to do so. In fact, verse goes on in chapter 91 of Psalm. You will tread on the lion and the adder, which is a snake, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Now, why does God say that? Because Jesus is also our shepherd, and he comes from the line of David. David defeated animals that were trying to eat his sheep. He protected the sheep. Sheep don't have offensive weapons in order to kill a lion, so that's why they have a shepherd. And why is the adder mentioned? That's the serpent, reminding us of the Garden of Eden, when the serpent, who is the devil, attempted and was successful in tempting Adam and Eve to try and become God. 
which is at the basis of every one of our sins. We want to become God. There was a recent movie, of course, where Jesus is shown to be crucified. And the opening scene is Jesus with his foot over a serpent. Yes, Genesis 3.15 teaches that he will crush the head of the serpent, but during that process, he will be wounded, referring to the crucifixion. So introits are very important. A lot of churches use them in their worship service. This one for the first Sunday in Lent, taken from Psalm 91, helps us to understand what the gospel is about, why the devil misquotes the Bible, and Jesus does not fall into temptation, but dies on the cross for your sins. Heaven is your home because you now are guarded in all your ways. Join us Monday for a continuation of Law and Gospel Teaching. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.